So playing small, we've all heard this term before. I believe that there is a dis-ease, a discomfort when we play small. Have you ever wanted more, to do more, or share more, and felt that discomfort when you didn't? It's very real. And whether you're doing this consciously or subconsciously, there's a pain, there's a dis-ease. Well, I lived with this dis-ease, this pain for years, decades. And the amazing thing is, I stand here today as a two-time best-selling author. And my first book, Rescue to Recovery, it was my journey of, it is my journey, of over 30 years of undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. Now that's today. But before that book was published in June of 2020, no one knew. No one knew that I had post-traumatic stress. My friends didn't know. My family didn't know. And I didn't even know until a friend of mine posted 16 characteristics of post-traumatic stress on social media, and I had 14 of those. I've come to learn that there are many more. In fact, 70% of the population is affected by trauma. 70%. 20% of those people go into what's called a trauma loop, which is post-traumatic stress. That was me. <laughs> now, you might be wondering why am I talking about post-traumatic stress and trauma when the topic is playing small? Well, that's a very fair question. And I'd like to connect those dots by telling you my story and sharing some insights. And I'd like to give you five choices that I learned to make that helped me to go from playing small to playing big. See, when I was eight years old, I was severely burned. And it was at my, my home. It was a, a fire at my house. And these were the days before there was 911, a long time ago. <laughs> Can you imagine being in somebody's house and all of a sudden a child is on fire? And you can't call 911. It was, it was terrifying. It was dramatic and, and, and traumatic for everyone in the house. And when I got to the hospital, uh, there was no burn specialists. There was no burn units. In fact, my first two weeks that I was there, I could see what people were, were doing, and I could hear what they were saying, but I couldn't communicate. It was like being in a coma. And I remember the doctors and the nurses, and they came in, and every time they came in, they would say, I can't believe she's here. She should be dead. She shouldn't be here. And those words of amazement in the brain of that little eight-year-old turned into, literally, I should not be here. I should be dead. And in the illogical reasoning of a child, that turned into, I don't matter. And so for the, I was in the hospital for about three months or so. And for 10 years after that, I had to have corrective surgery for the scars that the burns had left on me. My hand was not functioning properly, so I had to have it uh, cut. They had to put a graft in there. My face had a, uh, a scar on it, and it wasn't growing with my face, so it was distorting my, my mouth so I couldn't speak. So that was for 10 years. 14 years after I got burned, I decided to join the United States Coast Guard. My first station was in San Francisco, California. And one of our many duties in those days was search and rescue. And so each boat crew would actually assign a person as the designated swimmer, the person that goes in the water to help those that are in distress. That was me too. So I got to go do that. Now, if you can imagine 
the preparation and, and really the adrenaline and the hope of going to, to, to rescue somebody. And our response times back then were not like what they are now. So each time that we would go out, we were just a little too late. And that hope of rescuing a living, breathing soul turned into the disappointment of picking up and recovering a lifeless body. And this happened over and over. In fact, <clears throat> it happened so many times, those repeated insults to my soul, as I called them, that they're almost too much to bear. So when I got out of the Coast Guard, I called Veterans Affairs to find out what my benefits are because I was in a very, very dark place. I was very depressed. And each time I called them, and I called them several times, each time I called them, they said, well, we can't find you in our system. We don't see you. You're not there. And this hit me very hard because I was very depressed. And it took me right back to being that little girl that didn't matter. My service apparently didn't matter. And it felt like nothing mattered. And so at that time, I, I decided, well, I'm going to have to suck it up. <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out how to move through this life, even though I felt so broken and so unable to, to function. Thankfully, a, a, a great friend of mine who's a doctor encouraged me to work with him and become a physiotherapist. And I've since become a director of physical therapy. Now, I've worked with him for years and uh, for several years. And for the past 25 years, I've worked with several, several other doctors. And for the last 12 years, I've been working as a uh, in scar tissue therapy. <laughs> Crazy enough, right? You go full circle. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I do believe that uh, after living with the scars of the trauma and going through the things that I've gone through in the past 40 years, Give me a unique insight on things. So I'd like to share a couple of things. <clears throat> First and foremost, scar tissue. When, scar, when, when traumas happen, let's say you've got a sprained ankle. The tissue around that ankle immediately gets confused, and then it immediately shuts down. It, it immobilizes it, and that's perfectly normal. This is what the body does. To, it's a protection mechanism. It's a pause, if you will, for the body to go, wow, what's going on here? Well, I believe that emotional trauma has the same effects, or it's a, light, a lot like physical trauma, in that it has its protection mechanisms, shock and stress after trauma, PTS. And this is very normal. This is a normal process in the body, a time for us to assess what's happening. And this happens to every single human being. Every time there's a trauma, no matter what, there is PTS. And everybody goes through it. Some people go through it faster than others, but everybody experiences it. And I've explained this <clears throat> process to patients for 25 years, the healing process. Okay, you've got confused tissue. You've got to strengthen the muscles around it. You've got to work the range of motion so you don't lose the functionality. And one day when I was explaining this, we're talking 25 years, <laughs> One day, explaining this a couple years ago, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Those traumas on my heart, those traumas to my soul, were like this ankle that was never treated. I need to look at these things because they were holding me back from so many things in my life. And so, 
Brene Brown, I don't know if you know who she is. She does a lot of research and she does some speaking on vulnerability. And one thing that she said to me one time, what, or not to me, <laughs> thought she was talking to me. <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> she said right to me um, that <laughs> courage starts when we show up and letting others, letting ourselves be seen. And seeing others and letting ourselves be seen is where connection begins. I was missing that connection. My world was getting so small that I was not connecting with people. And when I heard that, I was like, okay, pull up the big girl pants. <laughs> Let's be courageous. All right, so what I'd like to do is I would like to share five choices that I learned to make that helped me go from playing really, really small, because my world got very, very small. When you don't connect with people, your world gets very small. So these five choices that I learned to make from going, helped me to go from playing very small to playing big. I mean, look at where we are today. <laughs> Number one, healthy choices around our food and our nutrition, okay? And I explain it this way. If you take the spirit out of the body, I, I believe we're spiritual beings, but if we take that spirit and just set it aside for a moment, and we look at this amazing engineering thing, we are a chemical reactor, right? Anybody, anybody ever get that two to three o'clock lull where you're just about to, about to fall asleep? Some people every day, right? Yeah, okay, that's chemistry. That's your body saying your blood sugar is getting so low that you're gonna crash. And let me ask you this, what do you reach for? Bagels, donuts, candy, coffee, right? Because your body is screaming, I need energy now. So if we make good choices around our food, what we put in is what we're gonna get out. Number two, exercise. This is not rocket science, folks. I always tell people, my dad is a rocket scientist, not me. <laughs> Exercise, 20 minutes getting your heart rate up. Exercise is eight times more effective against depression than any medication on the market. I'm gonna say that again. Exercise is eight times more effective against depression than any medication on the market. This is huge. Number three, and this was a big one, people with PTSD, it's one of the hardest things for people to do with PTSD, is sleep. It's highly underrated. Anybody here can honestly say, I get eight hours of sleep every night. You go, Dee Dee. <laughs> right? Bless you. Most people get between four, five, and six. So I really encourage people to get to the seven and eight because it's the time your body gets a chance to do this system check. See what's going on, see what it can fix. If you've put good nutrition in, what can it fix while you're sleeping? It's amazing stuff. Now number four, this is where it really gets fun. Number four, actively look for the things that are holding you back. Actively look for the things that are holding you back. And I'm gonna challenge you to, some point in the near future, find a place where you can quiet the noise in your mind and you can quiet the noise around you. And I'm going to ask you to ask yourself one question. What do I want? 
This is a serious question and it's not selfish. What do I want? What do I want in life? What do I want for my family? What do I want in finances? What do I want in fun? What do I want in adventures? And then on the heels of that, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this. What am I willing to do to get there? What am I willing to do to get there? Are you willing to maybe change your diet a little bit? Maybe get a little exercise? Maybe get some sleep? <laughs> that would be a good one. Number five. This was, this was one that took me a while to get. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. Because here's the thing. When we don't talk, well, let's put it this way. Something is holding you back if you feel that pain of playing small. Something is holding you back. We've got a saying in the medical world, pain is an indicator that something is wrong. Pain is an indicator that something's wrong. So actively look for that thing that's holding you back. See, I was hiding for most of my life, and I'm, I'm probably older than most of you here, not all of you, but most of you. So I've been hiding most of my life. I've been afraid to tell people about my pains, afraid to tell my story of trauma. And that was keeping people from knowing most of me. Tell somebody, share these things, because we don't want to hold this ba ourselves back from these amazing things that we can do in our life. So as I end today, I'm going to leave you with these things. And I'm going to say this in first person, because I really want this to stick in your brain. I'm a seed planter. I like to plant seeds, so I'm going to plant a seed in your brain. And I'm going to say this in first person. And I want you to hear this when you walk away. You're going to walk away and go, dang, our voice is in my head. And I hope that happens. <laughs> what do I want? And what am I willing to do to get there? Because I promise you, when you answer those two questions and you figure out what it is that you need to do to get there, you will be unstoppable. I appreciate your time. Thank you.